Welcome to the podcast that is all about self-employment. We'll be sharing expertise on getting started, getting noticed, and getting it right, as well as dealing with getting it wrong. Your host, Julia Kermode, will help you get ahead so you get the success you deserve. Welcome to today's podcast, everybody. I'm delighted to have with me Seb Maley, and he is Chief Executive at QDOS Contractor. And today we are talking about managed service company legislation and why it matters. Now, a bit of background about Seb. He's been in the industry for something like 20 years or so. And QDOS is an IR35 specialist, and they are also insurance providers, which means they have to be specialists in everything that affects contractors, stuff like MSC legislation. So welcome, Seb. Have I missed anything in my intro? No, I think you've covered everything there, Julia. So uh, yeah, no, thank you for having me and uh, hi to everyone. Perfect. All right. Well, let's dive straight in. So what on earth is managed service company legislation? The managed service company legislation, which see, we, we say MSC for short, is a piece mm-hmm. of anti-avoidance legislation, which was originally introduced way back in April 2007. Obviously, we had the first kind of major change to the, the contracting industry, uh, for want of a better term, was IR35, which was introduced back in April 2000. And that yep. obviously caused quite a lot of disruption in the market for, for a couple of years, um, but things eventually did start to settle down. And what we started to see after that was providers of limited company solutions to contractors growing within the market. Mm-hmm. And so some of these were kind of accountancy uh, providers, but some of them started to offer a very kind of commoditized or standardized service to contractors. And so you had this kind of huge explosion of these providers who were marketing essentially kind of off-the-shelf top limited company solutions to contractors. Okay. And um, what you would often find was that the contractor wasn't choosing their own company name. They were just essentially being assigned a number. They were still the director and kind of sole shareholder of a limited company. So there ended up being several thousand of these kind of off-the-shelf limited companies. It got to the stage where the government and HMRC felt that these uh, contractors weren't actually running the business, that all of the decisions mm. were, were being made for them. They didn't really have any control over the finances of, of the company. And it was uh, HMRC's view and the government's view that they shouldn't benefit from the tax benefits of running a business if they weren't actually taking the risks or putting any of the work into actually doing that. I can understand that. I know you haven't quite finished, but the one of the points I just wanted to interrupt you with is yep. in relation to running a limited company, you've got legal responsibilities there. So actually these contractors should have been concerned about this. Perhaps they didn't know about their, their legal responsibilities. Yeah, potentially not. And I think you know the way that these providers operated was that all all of the insurances were, were provided uh, were provided for them. A lot of them mm. would also cover things from an I-35 point of view as well. Obviously, I-35 at that stage was very much the sort of sword of Damocles hanging over contractors. So a lot of yeah. these, um, these providers essentially, you know, it wasn't a kind of IR-35 proof model, but it, they, they were certainly going some way to kind of satisfy contractors' concerns that all of that was taken care of as well. Right. So you're, you're right that in many cases, you know, contractors may not have been aware of, uh, of, of kind of what the, the actual practical risks were of running a limited company but you know it, it ended up being this this very straightforward solution that they could use so 
And as you say, you can kind of see why the government felt that something needed to be done about it. And that's why we eventually saw the MSC legislation being introduced. Okay, so so what you're outlining is basically I could have gone to one of these providers and said, I need a limited company because I've got this this assignment that I want to do. Um, and so they would open up something as Julia Kermode Limited and just do everything for me so I could just get on with my with my work. It, it sounds like a dream, actually. It does, so. yeah. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it, it was essentially as straightforward as that. And obviously, the, you know, the government felt like this was a problem. And obviously back then, mm-hmm. back in kind of 2006, for instance, the tax differential between running a limited company and, you know, being a PAYE employee was much greater than it is now. So back then, right. dividend tax was different. You had the flat rate VAT scheme. So, you know, the, the variance in take-home pay between being a director of a limited company and a shareholder of a limited company compared to being an employee was was very different. So HMRC and the government would have felt that there was, you know, these people were essentially being given these companies. They weren't actually, you know, having any real involvement in actually running the business, but they were in a significantly better off position than mm-hmm. they would have been had they been taxed as an employee and that is essentially that that, that's the hole that they were trying to fill with legislation you know the tax uh, that they felt um, should be due from uh, somebody who was uh, operating through uh, these structures is kind of full employment tax the legislation was introduced in in april 2007 because the, the legislation was written so widely um, with, with not a great deal of definition or guidance about you know what actually was or wasn't an msc or an msc provider it essentially scared a lot of these providers into completely changing their practices immediately. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it had that kind of, I guess it was, it acted as you know, a fairly good deterrent from HMRC's point mm. of view. All the, you know, these major providers for essentially kind of shirp shop when it came to, to that kind of uh, off the shelf type offering and changed their practices. So they're offering a far more kind of typical accountancy service and we're very careful not to, to to do anything that may potentially contravene the msc legislation so from that point of view it kind of went quite quiet um, after yeah. april 2007 so it, it had the the desired impact then and so i guess these people who were perhaps paying corporation tax previously now at least either were were moved to to a different PAYE basis of operating mm-hmm. or they were genuinely forced to be in business on their own account. I guess those were the two main outcomes there. Exactly. So you would have seen a, a move in some cases into umbrella companies for those yep. who didn't want to kind of have the have the burden, if you like, of running a limited company. But, uh, mm-hmm. but equally, some of them would have been moved into to far more kind of typical business structures where they were actually in control of of, uh, of how the business was was administered. So it, yeah, it, in in the early years, it certainly you know it certainly had the sort of desired effect from HMRC's point of view, and it meant that they didn't really have to do any compliance activity. So we actually saw very little <laughs> in terms of HMRC actually policing the rules in the early years but obviously more recently that's uh, we've, we've started to see yeah. a bit more activity yeah so what has been going on recently so i know that there's been a couple of cases in kind of the press and that they're looking at at um at least one company who they believe may be operating as a managed service company have i got that right yeah so uh, there's actually been a bit more than that going on behind the scenes for a number of years now so what we yeah. what we did have was a the first um instance of the msc legislation being tested in in court and this goes back several years. So back to kind of 2012, I think the first instances were of HMRC actually targeting a particular provider. 
And this was a provider who specialised in providing uh, limited company solutions for um, contractors who are working in kind of healthcare. Um, okay. So you had yeah. um, kind of locums and so on. And HMRC targeted, um, you know, contractors who are working for this firm. Uh, and it, the case ended up at a first tier tax tribunal. It was uh, it, the HMRC were successful in the first tier tribunal. It then went, then went to an upper tier tribunal. And then eventually, and this wasn't until late 2019, it ended up in the Court of Appeal. HMRC won every step of the way and they were successful in the Court of Appeal as well. So that was the first time that the legislation has uh, has gone through the court system, mm-hmm. the first time it's been tested by a judge. But that, that um, result in kind of October 2019, um, where uh, HMRC, uh, uh, well, the, the Court of Appeal determined that, um, you know, this, this particular business was a managed service company provider, which meant that the, uh, the individual contractors' companies were managed service companies. Mm. That essentially triggered H, that kind of blew the legislation open to an extent because it didn't um, it didn't really clarify anything that really required clarification in terms of the guidance around legislation, right. but it essentially gave HMRC a, a, a wide open um, line of attack. Um, when when looking at MSC and mm. it, it wasn't really a coincidence that very shortly after that we started getting letters being sent to contractors who were working for more mainstream contractor accounting firms and that right. was really the the, the the starting point of this this recent uh, activity that we've seen um, involving these these kind of two accountancy providers um, that uh, has obviously gathered a lot of uh, momentum and attention from the contracting industry. Yeah, and of course, um, as as kind of insurance providers, then I guess the, one of the first things um, people do if they if they're kind of being approached for this is check does their insurance cover it. So so you so your company will have been aware of these letters going out to contractors at, at quite an early stage. Then we were certainly aware, and it it seemed like back in kind of two thousand and nineteen, early early uh, twenty twenty, it um, there were only a handful of letters that that, that mm. we uh, that we saw any um, any evidence of of uh, from HMRC so it's, it seemed at that stage like it was a bit of a fishing exercise from their point of view um, right. there wasn't a huge amount of information in the letters and then as with many things um, it went very quiet over the over the COVID period so yep. HMRC's resources were obviously diverted elsewhere um, and we uh, basically heard nothing um, until um, until a few months ago, a few months ago, that's when we saw the hundreds of letters being sent to contractors who had uh, who had used these firms. Yeah. Um, and in those letters, it, you know, from a contractor's point of view, it, I can see why it would have been absolutely terrifying because it was mm. essentially a tax bill saying that we think that um, the managed service company uh, legislation applies to uh, to your engagement with this particular with, with this particular accounting firm, and to protect our position for the 2017-18 um, tax year we're going to issue this this bill and uh, for certain it was you know for, for a lot of these uh, contractors it was tens of thousands of pounds for yeah. for, for, for one tax year um, wow. and it may well have been the first time that, that they'd ever heard of this uh, this legislation um, because yeah. IR35 has been the, the legislation has been the top of everyone's agenda for, for several years and mm-hmm. uh, MSC has essentially gone under the radar. Actually, I was going to say that because um, when I speak to to people, um, often uh, contractors that have been around for a while sort of have forgotten about MSC legislation, and certainly anyone new to it could be forgiven for for not being aware aware that it's even there. So, I mean, in a nutshell, my understanding of MSC legislation, and please correct me, is basically you need to make sure that you are 
genuinely responsible for, for your company and that basically not too much stuff is being done for you um, by, by your accountant. But obviously, normal accountancy stuff can be done by your accountant. Yeah. So, so is, is there any kind of markers, if you like, to be aware of for people? It's a really difficult one because, mm. because as, as I've said, we've only had one test case, uh, whereas yeah. with, I, with I-35, for instance, you've got decades worth of case law. Obviously, I-35 itself came in in 2000, but prior to that, there was all this employment status um, mm. case law, which has, uh, has, has gone back decades. So there's a huge amount more um, that you can base it on, whereas MSC was a brand new piece of legislation with no precedent and no case law. And all you really had to go on um, was HMRC's guidance and then... Uh, more recently, this particular case, this this particular case that went to the Court of Appeal was quite an extreme case, really, uh, because, for instance, you know that the the, uh, the provider was uh, paying the tax on behalf of the contractors, so they had, you know, they deducted um, uh, tax from the payments that came into the contractors' <clears throat> limited companies. Right. Um, they controlled the bank accounts, um, yeah. which is obviously not particularly typical of uh, of how an accountant would normally work. Uh, and their fee structure was different in that they charged a percentage of the contractor's invoice rather than charging a, a kind of set monthly fee or an annual fee. So, uh, you know, obviously th- those th- th- those would certainly be kind of red flags. But but really, it's uh, th- th- there's, there's a huge amount still that requires um, uh, testing. And I guess, what, you know, if, if there is a positive to these uh, these more recent cases that we've seen, it, it is that hopefully... If they do get heard at tribunal, which I think is quite likely, mm. we will see a bit more um, clarity in terms of um, you know what those specifics are in terms of what con- what contractors and what accountants should avoid. But as you say, it's all about involvement in the company. Yeah. So control, yeah. you know, the contractor should always be making the decisions about how they remunerate themselves. You know, you mm. shouldn't be using a set um, a, a set structure. I mean, obviously, it's become very common. Um, in in the contractor space when you're running a limited company to do it in the most tax efficient way possible. Um, But that should be very much, it should be very clear that that is your decision that you're taking and not uh, something that's predetermined by a provider so so as i said it is there are a lot of gray areas unfortunately and you know the other things i guess in terms of what contractors should always be watchful of is that you know you're not signing up for a service that where the accountant is promising to do everything for you that that's really one of those areas that i think hmrc would see as as, as a pretty soft target really where an accountant is offering this kind of completely managed service where you know they it's hands off from the contractor's point of view and the accountant essentially runs everything uh, everything for them but uh, yeah. but as as things stand it's, it's quite difficult uh, for, for contractors because there isn't a great deal of information out there because it hasn't really been fully tested and so you know there's there's a lot that you just have to sort of base on common sense to an extent yeah and i have quite a bit of sympathy with contractors when i when i think about it and a lot of people do sort of have that assumption oh well my accountant looks after that for me but actually and I always come back to legally in the eyes of the law as a company director, you're responsible for the financial position of that company. So it's in your interest to make sure you know exactly what's what's going on. Um, and actually, you shouldn't be solely reliant on your accountant to, to that extent. But I do totally understand. Um, lots of people go, oh, I can't do finance. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and, and they, they don't help themselves. So it's much better to have a slightly more painful relationship with your accountant where you do have to show show an interest and take responsibility 
exactly yeah but i mean i suppose we you know that this is the most contractors have the, the you know that the contractors limited companies are all quite similar really because it's yeah. all, you know yeah they haven't got particularly complex um you know structures when it comes to to, to income uh, you know that uh, and, and typically it's one or two shareholders so yeah. uh, you know you can see why um services that accountants provide would also would also over time become quite standardized and, and that's almost for good reason but um but yeah as you as you say contractors should have involvement they should uh, make the decisions they should have the final say on everything and i think um you know it's important uh, if, if there's if there's kind of one takeaway from um, contractors reading about msc cases at the moment it's really about making sure that they do demonstrate that they are doing that and that they are taking uh, ownership of their business and uh, you know they can clearly document that they've made the important decisions about remuneration and finances mm. um, with, with with that company so uh, but yeah it's it you know like you can see why thing why things would be quite concerning for contractors at the moment yeah yeah it, it's tough isn't it and i know that within the msc legislation there is what we would call a carve out where by normal accountancy services are not intended to be impacted on it by by the legislation but i also know that the companies they're looking at would probably class themselves as normal accountancy service companies yep. so it's, yeah. it is really great isn't it it is and now uh, you know there are a couple of uh, kind of carve outs i guess in the legislation but neither of them you know none of them really is, is something that i think uh, you could have a great deal of reliance on to be perfectly honest i mean the accountancy okay. one is is saying you know you're not going to be caught by virtue of providing accountancy services but it's not an automatic carve out there's no um you know there's nothing really specific there about what actually would and wouldn't be a, a genuine kind of accountancy provider so yeah. it's um it, yeah huge huge gray areas and i think really it's um you know that there aren't really any easy get outs from it i think it is it's more about you know both contractors but also the firms that are providing accountancy service services making sure they take due diligence now because you know um whilst hmrc has seemed to be focused on these two particular cases at the moment mm. um obviously if they progress in a particular way you can you can certainly see hmrc widening their scope and uh, and, and looking at other providers and uh, and obviously the contractors that uh, that have used their services yeah it is a worry so um so yeah talk us through briefly then what should someone do if if they're worried that 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 their relationship with their accountant might fall into this um, managed service company legislation. I think uh, seeking some uh, some uh, level of assurance from the accountant in the first uh, you know in the first instance is probably mm. worthwhile. You would hope that accountants would be au fait with uh, with the rules, and you would hope that they would have taken a level of due diligence internally in terms of uh, making sure that their services um, you know. Uh, were, were compliant um, yeah. insofar as they can do obviously you know uh, notwithstanding the fact there isn't a great deal of, uh, of information <laughs> to go on but, but uh, you know beyond that contractors could obviously seek independent advice where, you know um, from an independent expert just to yeah. have a bit of a sense check um, just to uh, have a, a fresh pair of eyes on the situation I guess on an ongoing basis I think it's really important that contractors keep their ear to the ground in terms of how these particular cases progress as I said it's likely yeah. that they that at least you know that I I would imagine that both of them will end up in uh, in a first tier tribunal in a not too distant future. Unfortunately, the tribunal system is uh, slow at the best of times, um, mm. and it's particularly slow at the moment. But obviously, those cases will be reported public. You now you will have um, all you know all of the information in terms of what the judges considered in, in, in that respect as well. But also yeah. keep it keep an eye on, on the industry press as well and make sure that 
stay abreast of uh, of any development. But yeah, as I said, I think you know for, for contractors, probably speaking to their accountant is the first port of call, and hopefully they will be able to provide the reassurance that you know that they have taken things very seriously, and that um, you know if if necessary, they've taken measures to to make sure that they are clearly compliant, and they can demonstrate mm. that to HMRC if uh, if if HMRC were to come knocking. Yeah, and and um, is it likely that contractors may have some sort of insurance policy that that covers them for for this. I mean, I'm just thinking QDOS obviously um, provides insurance for, for contractors. So is it the sort of thing that, that you would get insurance to cover? Certainly from a, a kind of representation cost perspective, you know, mm. a, a lot of contractors will hold some form of, of kind of legal expenses insurance or tax representation right. insurance, whether that was um, a policy that they've purchased with um, with the likes of QDOS, or if it's a policy that they have as part of a professional membership or yeah. uh, or trade association, um, what I would say is that it's important to check the policy wording and make sure that um, that there isn't, a, you know, for instance, an exclusion for MSC inquiries, uh, and make sure that if if it is covering you know all tax inquiries, it's probably worth just uh, just checking that with the uh, with the provider um, just mm. to make sure that it isn't there because the last thing that you'd want is to try and make a claim and uh, and, and for <laughs> the insurance provider to say actually no we don't cover that but um, yeah. but but yeah so I, I think it's it's certainly worth checking and obviously if you haven't you know if, if they haven't if they're not part of any kind of MSC compliance activity it's worth considering taking out some sort of insurance just because um, we know that tax inquiries can take a hell of a long time to to, mm. to defend they can be very in depth particularly if you go down the tribunal route and obviously you know what in, in many situations that we see with i35 contractors have ended up having to pay a huge amount just to prove their innocence and, yeah. and having it having an insurance policy in place obviously just uh, you know just just provides that peace of mind that if, uh, if if you did get a letter that somebody would be able to step in and uh, cover that all for you this all sounds like a, a total nightmare to me um and in terms of it seems to me that the government government just doesn't trust contractors to to run their to pay tax appropriately and that the, the government seems to think that people only contract just to avoid tax which is absolutely not the case and it is my my opinion not necessarily yours but oh, no, um... it's, I, I, yeah it's an entire it's my opinion as well it's just bizarre and it kind of completely flies in the face of uh, of a lot of what um you know a lot of politicians have said over the years in terms yeah. of uh, you know wanting to promote entrepreneurialism and wanting to be the party of business and so on you know yeah gone gone about that for a long time but it, it doesn't really make any sense and i think um you know if, if we look at these these particular msc cases that's not really what the legislation was designed for like we said you know back in 2006 mm. 7 you had these providers who there was nothing wrong with with what they were doing at the time you can kind of you can see why the government didn't like it because you know you can as we've said um, a, few, a few times already contractors uh, or people running a business should you know there are risks involved yeah and, and it's that kind of risk and reward type thing whereas um, back then that wasn't really happening whereas mm-hmm. contractors who have used these accountancy firms that we've talked about more recently they genuinely were using them as their accountant. There wasn't really, you know, there certainly wasn't any uh, any avoidance. They, they weren't knowingly going into anything to try and save tax or avoid tax. So yeah. it's a frustrating one. And obviously the liabilities rest with the contractor. You know, the, the first port of call is the contract, even though what HMRC are probing is the practices of their accountant. 
And that's yeah. the other thing with legislation is that, you know, a, a lot of contractors would assume that actually if your accountant's doing something that isn't compliant, then it should be the accountant who's who's the liable party. But no, yeah. it's, um, it's it's the contractor. And obviously you can draw parallels with things like the loan charge, which obviously is, uh, has been spoken about a lot over, over recent years. But it's not too dissimilar a situation in many respects. The providers aren't the party that are, that are holding that initial liability. Yeah, it does seem fundamentally unfair in, in that respect. And, you know, I, I suppose, I mean, I've said it myself a few times, it's about being genuinely in business on your own account. That's true in relation to IR35 and of payroll. And I guess the same is, is true in relation to MSC. Um, so, so yeah, I guess that that would be kind of my concluding advice for any listeners. What What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, I think as as we've said, it just it just seems to be like it just seems to be one thing after another for contractors at the mm. moment in terms of the government's mm. targeting of them, or as we saw with COVID, ignoring them. So it's um, mm. you know it, it's it's been a, a very unfortunate few years. I mean, I think with MSC, I would say don't panic. You know, there's a long way to go with 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 these particular cases. You would be very hopeful. Um, and I would be very hopeful that um, you know there would be a successful outcome to these cases in terms of the defence uh, that uh, that both yes. the contractors and these accountants could put uh, you know are going to put forward. So it's by no means a foregone conclusion that uh, you know and, and and it may well be that these con- you know HMRC or tribunal finds that um, that there's absolutely nothing wrong with the the, the way in which um, these contractors are operating. And, and I'd be very hopeful that that would be the case. So I don't think there's necessarily cause to panic, but it, but equally I think uh, it. It's important uh, the contractors are aware of it. Um, they know the basics of the legislation. They take advice if um, if they feel it's necessary, and uh, just uh, yeah, keep, very much keep their kind of ears to the ground over the coming months. Yeah, yeah, and certainly I'll keep subscribers to iWork informed of anything. And I know you have regular newsletters coming out from QDOS as well. So so yeah, they can keep keep their ears to the ground through through that. And obviously. I'll put contact details for QDOS um, in the notes that go with this podcast. So um, I think that probably covers everything, really. So massive thank you so much for your time. We've managed to make a very complicated subject, um, hopefully quite easy and listenable to to understand. So I really, really appreciate your time. Thanks, Sam. No problem, Julia. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to All About Self-Employment, hosted by Julia Kermode. For more information on today's discussion, please visit iwork.co.uk, where you can also join our growing community. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, then we would love you to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We'll be back at the same time next week.